Hey, welcome to Lakeview Sermon of the Week. We're so grateful to have you here, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. This chapter of the book of Acts, I want to talk about uh, the question, and I know that you may be like, um, I'm really not feeling this, Tim. It's not, it's not connecting with me. I, I, you know, this, who do you think you are? I, you know, I know who I am. I, I don't need to think about it. I know who I am. Tonight we're going to talk about... Uh, you know, your song was so, your song was so in line with what I'm going to talk about, Justin, the last song that I, I took a picture of the, the screen because you're going to find out tonight that he picked the perfect song, this idea that I'm laying down my religion, all my religion, I want to know you, Lord. That is exactly what our... Uh, guest tonight would say I want to drain us of anything that would ground out the moving of the Holy Spirit I'm, I'm n- not probably teaching the funnest most popular series I've ever done who do you think you are it kind of even when I felt God give me the title I kind of felt like mm, you know I don't really want to say that every week you know but uh It is what God wants us to catch because think about this. God creates a universe and the universe is expanding and it's just like infinite. I mean, our universe, even our galaxy is too much for us to conceive. And then our galaxy is not even the only galaxy and it's not even the biggest, most spectacular galaxy. And and our sun is not the most spectacular star and, and our earth is not just the most, you know, all the other planets, you know, are... It's amazing. But anyway, God makes all this. He plants us into the garden. He breathes into us. God breathes. He's still breathing into you. You wouldn't be breathing without God. He's still breathing into us. Okay. And then we have the gall to listen to this little snot serpent. We listen to this little snot serpent and let our brain... Challenge God's wisdom. Come on. We let our little pea brain challenge God's wisdom. And and the devil challenges our confidence when he says, did God really say? And this is exactly what God does to undermine the the dirt under us. You know, to, to chip away at our foundation, to take away from our faith. Did God really say? Now I want to say right out of the gate. I'm Pentecostal. I want to say right out of the gate. If you're challenging your convictions for justification, you already know better. Uh, I'm amazed being a pastor and a a minister and a chaplain and different things that I've done. I'm amazed how many times people have not been provoked by me. I didn't say anything. I don't see nothing wrong with you know, fill in the blank. I mean, if, if I was to say that to anybody, it would be, I don't see anything wrong with Twinkies. What's your gig, you know? But people will justify anything. And if you let this brain, this computer God put between our ears work on anything, if you let this start to work on anything you want to justify, given enough time, it'll justify anything. I've heard people having affairs. Well, well, he don't love her the way I do. Right. What? 
He has a license like you don't have. You know, you know what I mean? I mean, if you think there's something wrong, pray for the people, but don't get involved and run. What does the Bible say? When it comes to youthful lust, it's the one time in the Bible, it doesn't say stand your ground, having done all to stand, stand therefore. It says cut and run. Why? Because he knows how powerful the hormones are he placed in your body. God already knows. He's not denying that, you know, testosterone and estrogen are like, you know, makes people absolutely justify just about anything. You know, for years it's made Hollywood justify that people getting to know each other on a first or second date will just fall into bed. How'd you get here? I don't know. So understand this. You can justify anything. And the devil came along and said, did God really say? And, and isn't it pretty? You know, I've been around orchards. I grew up in an area where there were lots of varieties of orchards, all kinds of trees, cherries, peaches, pears, you know, just all kinds and, and all kinds of nut orchards. But the thing about almonds and walnuts, they don't, not much smell there. Well, the holes on a walnut's pretty stinky. But when you go through a ripe orchard, like peaches especially, that's the strongest one for me. When it's ripe, if you had your windows down, you can smell it. So you can imagine the forbidden fruit may have smelled good. And it probably was delightful to look at. God's very creative. You know, some of the most beautiful things are things you need to stay away from, you know. If I was a fly, you know, buzzing around and I'm going, wow, you know, that Venus flytrap's kind of a neat thing. You know, you're not even thinking. It says flytrap right in the name, you know. You know, we like the word knowledge, but sometimes we don't think about the fact that the knowledge of good and evil might be a bad thing when God told us not to go there. The knowledge of good and evil. You know, we understand that evil's wrong. The wicked know that evil's wrong. The wicked will tell you evil's wrong and they feel bad about it. Boom, you're dead. You know, I mean, it happened. But then the knowledge of good, too. Here's the thing. Our struggle is not to be good enough. Our, our struggle is to be alive in Christ instead of dead in our sins. It's, it's not good over evil. That's the way it's portrayed by the devil. The devil always portrays it as good over evil. The problem with good is it creates pride, and pride is another stumbling block. So if you're good enough, you think, I'm good enough, you're not getting to heaven on your own merit. You can't be good enough. You can't be that good. Say, well, everybody's right about here, and I'm way up here. Yeah, but that's the standard way up there. Well, I just need a taller ladder. They don't make a tall enough ladder. So move away from my goodness is what matters. My relationship with God is what matters. Now, we say, well, I've got a relationship with God. Good news. Let's move on. Who do you think you are? Eve was told not to touch the tree, and she went ahead and touched the tree. Eve was not only willing to comply with the devil's request to give it a whirl, but then she engaged her husband in the same sin. When I did rescue work, it never failed that somebody that was nicking for something would always take somebody with them because it would help justify it. I feel better about doing the wrong thing because they did it too. 
you know, it's kind of like when you get into the cookies, you need a conspirator. So I make sure the dog has crumbs too, you know, and I say, well, she was begging for a cookie and I just, I just got one too. But you know, the point is we'll look for a way to justify. The justification that comes from Christ is not about excusing our behavior. Justification is about making it right. There's a difference between making it right and making it something I can figure out how to approve of. You can't approve of sin. You can't whitewash sin. You can't make sin smell better. It just needs more perfume and another coat of paint. Let's put another coat on it. It doesn't fix it. Sin is sin. What is sin? It's breaking the will of God for your own personal benefit. I don't want what God wants. I want what I want. <laughs> and then here's Adam and Eve. They're in paradise. And I don't care what it was like. They probably didn't have a McDonald's, but it was still pretty neat. They didn't know what they were missing, did they? There was no. What happened to people? They don't appreciate the sausage, egg, and cheese McMuffin. It's a special place. When I need to be close to manna and Jesus and everything, I get my sausage, egg, and cheese. I don't like everything they make. I don't understand why they keep bringing the McRib back. What's that about? But anyway, I digress. Adam and Eve participated in what God told them not to do. God came into the garden. Hey, Adam, where you at, man? Where, I'm here. Do you think God didn't know where he's at? Uh, wouldn't you know it? I've misplaced Adam again. He was here when I left yesterday. You know where Adam was. It's like, where are we at? Where are we at? Here's the thing. Through one sinful act, they lost their house. They lost their job. You realize what happened? There was a transition to their child being a killer. Paradise became awful. Now they could see where it was because it was still there. Angel with a flaming sword was keeping them out. Matter of fact, all the way to Noah, there may have been an angel guarding the entrance to the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden may not have been buried until 2,000 years down the road. Everybody may have known where the Garden of Eden was. Maybe they went up there just to see the angel, kind of like seeing the guard at Buckingham Palace, you know, stand in front of him, you know, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> the, who would want to be a Buckingham Palace guard with the tall hat? It already doesn't fit good. You know it doesn't. Wearing this hat all day. And then people are in your face all day. What are you going to do? Huh? What are you going to do? And then the butt of the rifle goes. <laughs> oh, I see what you're going to do. I see. Here's the thing. We have a willful nature. And who we think we are sometimes is somebody in some way equivalent with God. Somebody who under, has an understanding that we could explain to God how things should be. Sometimes we think that the way God wrote the book, we're supposed to be able to pull God in our direction. 
You know, you said, and we give it a tug. Come on, in Jesus' name. We're talking about a sovereign king. God wants us in a place of worship. And yet sometimes it's like we're ordering groceries at Walmart. Hey, God! I need ice cream, milk. I'd like to have some bread. Can you get that ready for me? I'd like to have it delivered. God does know what your needs are. He says you have not because you ask not. But here's the thing. He's God. If we would have only listened, how much in this life would you have avoided if you just listened to God? How many people grew up in church and knew, knew what they were supposed to do to know God's personal grace and have a relationship with God and then they look back from 20 years of wreckage regretting that I didn't do this sooner? So let's go to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6 is very typical of any church. No sooner do you get started than people are fussing. I love that our church isn't fussy, at least not the part I know about. If you're the fussy part, I don't want to know. Go fuss to somebody else. I don't entertain fussing. I'll pray. Is there an issue? We'll pray, but... I don't want any fussy. Don't gossip to me. I don't want to hear it. I don't. I don't. I just don't need to know. Wonder what happened there. You don't need to know. What What do you need to know? Well, all inquiring minds want to know. Is there anything in that rag that's worth reading? Come on. They don't have a King James Version of the Inquirer, I'll tell you. <laughs> just, I'm just saying. So the church had its first fuss, at least one of the first fusses, okay? It says in chapter 6, verse 1, the believers rapidly multiplied. And what's happening to our church? In a matter of, you know, five years, we've seen rapid multiplication. And I believe, you know, the evidence is this Sunday, we're starting with a 9 a.m. service. If you didn't know, we have a 9 a.m. and a 1045. 9 a.m., 1045. Having trouble getting your seat? See you at 9. Okay, but here's the thing. The, the believers were rapidly multiplied. There were rumblings of discontent. We're not that far out from the day of Pentecost when God came in and lit little fires on top of 120 believers and he came in like a rushing mighty wind and he spoke with other tongues as the Spirit gave him the utterance. And now they're tongue talkers. They got a prayer language. And now they're having some phenomenal church and the church is rapidly growing. And where do we get from there? There were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained that the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. Now, first of all, what are we talking about? Me, 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 me. So the 12 called a meeting. You know, the apostles are leaders. And they've been with Jesus. So the apostles call a meeting. What do you think? The best use of our pastor's talent. Mow the grass, preach the word. Uh, what do you think? I've been in churches that expected me to mow the grass. We're paying you to be here. You don't preach on Tuesday. Go mow the grass. Well, hey. 
I've mowed the grass on days like that. Matter of fact, they came to me one time and said, our last pastor wore his slacks and a nice shirt out there. Why are you wearing jeans? Like I wasn't representing the church well. And then I got a call to the hospital and I didn't put a suit on. They were upset when I rolled in. And the person laying in the bed said, I've never seen a pastor come in without a tie. I said, well, it's a new world, baby. I still had grass on my shoes. I only had one suit. I couldn't mow in it. I may not have a suit for Sunday. So they were saying there's a discrimination between the Greeks and the, and the Hebrews. It may not be the Greeks and the Hebrews, but in America we've had racial discrimination, class discrimination. We've had discrimination. It's happened. It's happened where, uh, you know, I've seen churches divided by the old timers and the new ones and the young and the old. and there, There's all kinds of ways to divide us. But the Bible says we're one body. The Bible doesn't say we're a bunch of little bodies. We're one. Our head is the Lord, and we're part of one body. doesn't matter what color, what income status, what race, what background, what education. None of this matters. We're one body. So accept and receive everybody as God's created And everyone who receives Jesus is God's family. Right there. Right there. They got the same last name, you know. Jehovah, uh, son, Tim, you know, Christian guy. You're all Christian guy or girl, you know. We're one family. So don't discriminate. Don't treat anybody different. Because you know what? They're eternal. You've never met anybody made out of Kleenex. You don't blow your nose with it and throw it away. People are eternal. When there's an invitation and you, you know, kind of bump the person next to you and would you like to go and you escort them down to the altar and they kneel down and maybe a prayer person comes and prays with them and they get saved and you had a small part in their salvation, you've had a small part in the, the eternal the eternal has happened. Yeah, but, 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 no, quit. No, no discontent. Do you know what God's given us is something if we understood we couldn't be grateful enough. What we understand in part, we don't have words to explain our gratitude. He took my sin, my failures, my shortcomings, my uh, hell-bound judgment. And just by saying, God, forgive me, he wiped my past clean. He took the stains out of my heart and soul. And he made me part of his family by adoption. We, we just don't have a word to be grateful enough for that. Not a word. There, there's just not one. You know, a lot of times we look at what we don't have and we forget what we do have. We look at what we don't have and we forget what we do have. I brought it up in this place many times in this church, but it really hit me sideways when the statistic about cars came up. 
92% of the world does not have a car. What does that make us? Rich. Why? Because I have a car? No, because you're able to live at that level. You know, I don't live at the level of somebody with a yacht, but I live at the level of somebody with a car. That means I'm living at a little higher standard than 92% of the world. What? America's been so blessed we don't understand. At times, being a very small fraction of the world's population, we're like 300 million. Does anybody know we're around 300 million? And now China and India are like a billion and a half apiece. We're, we're a fraction of the world's population. And there are times when we consume 25% of the world's goods. And the reason they have left us alone in part is because we're the one buying their stuff and helping their economy run. You see what I mean? God has blessed us. But you know what happens with blessing? Here's the thing. In the absence of blessing, I'll lean more on God. In the presence of blessing, I don't have to. I got eggs in my refrigerator. I got bread on the counter. I got butter for the toast. There's money in my wallet. I'll go to church if I want to. And I have friends and family that are exactly like that. I'll go to church if I want to. I don't go to church because I want to. I go to church because I have to. The Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves as some are in the habit of doing, but all the more as you see the day approaching. If you can't see the day approaching, who gouged your eyes out? Jesus is coming. We don't talk about it as much as we did when I was a kid. When I started church 50 years ago, all they talked about was Jesus is coming. Better look out the window. He may be here. I wanted that bumper sticker. I didn't have the nerve to put it on my car. It said, Jesus is coming. Everybody look busy, you know. <laughs> I just thought that'd be a good one, you know. I didn't do it. I thought about it, but I didn't do it. Thought about it. So in verse 2, it says, The twelve had a meeting of all the believers, and they said, We apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. Yeah, it's in the Bible. That's what it said. There's a lot of pastors don't have the courage to tell somebody that. And there's a lot of uh, people in the audience that think the pastor is the professional, the one that's paid. He needs to do the job. While we cheer him on. Can you imagine watching a football game and one person's in the field and everybody else is up in the stand? Carry it, man. Carry it. Run. Go. Oh, run. You know, it's terrible. We're all in this together. I, I can't take my lung out and leave it up here while I sit back and watch. I've got to be all together, all together. I need every part and portion. And if you step on my toe, I can feel it all the way to the other end. Because it will come out my mouth, you know. Hopefully something good. Bless you, my brother. <laughs> it may not be bless you, my brother, but I can repent too, you know. And so, brothers, select seven men, well-respected, full of the spirit and wisdom. 
and we will give them this responsibility, then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea. Why? Because what they were upset about was getting some attention. At least, they, you know, they were heard. Don't you like to be heard? I think Connie said something about that. I like to be heard. Right? No, maybe not. But anyway, we all need to be heard. You know why a lot of marriages fail? Nobody's listening. You know when you've been with somebody 15 years, 16 years, 17 years, 30 years, 50 years, 100 years, you start predicting what their behavior will be, what they'll say. And so you don't listen. Oh, I know what you're going to say. I haven't said it yet. <laughs> you know, like when you say Connie and she says, get your own cookie. I was just letting you know I was good news. Okay. It's okay. I don't mind. Everyone liked this idea. They chose the following people. And I just want to mention the first one. We're not going to get into the others. They chose the following Stephen. And I love in this translation it says a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. And that's what they said to pick out. Pick out people full of the Spirit and wisdom. You know, pick people out like that. Who do you want to have leading? Oh, I want that guy. He ain't got no sense at all. Somebody in the back saying, well, that's what we got tonight, isn't it? I don't know what to think. <laughs> Even the smallest thing in God's service is the greatest thing in the world. You don't have to be a preacher to be honoring God. Right there at the door saying welcome is honoring God. Somebody in here on Tuesday vacuuming is honoring God somebody walking to their car and reaching down to pick up a piece of litter so it doesn't deface the property of God's house and it honors God the way we treat our customers or fellow employees or or fellow students or teachers or people in authority or people that don't have any authority or people that are helpless or people that have everything you think you would ever want if it's in a godly manner, it honors God. We're on God's economy. We're really above the rest of the world. We're in a different plane. Let's act like it. I can have joy when everybody else has none. Have you seen the news? I don't need to see the news. I've seen the word. Don't you read the paper? No, I read the NLT. Well, you need to see what's in the Sentinel record. No, I don't. I mean, you'll hear about it. But no, I don't. God already said he never leaves me or forsakes me. Everything else can go its own way, but I've got God on my side. We need to believe that we are who we say we are. And in the end, we have victory every time. Yeah, 
You know, there's been a lot of times that life will disappoint you in some way. You have some expectation, whether reasonable or unreasonable. It doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. Don't judge God by what you know, because we only know in part, we only understand in part, we only see in part. I was talking to somebody who was telling me how upset they were that God didn't heal a friend. They were party girls, and they were living it up and, you know, uh, perhaps living in a more immoral way than they should. One of them found out they had cancer. They both got into church. They appealed to the church. They, they repented of their ways. They got into church with their whole heart, and they began to appeal to the Lord for a healing, and the friend with the cancer died. This is 20 years down the road this person told me the story. And they said, I still am upset with God that he didn't answer our prayer. I said, well, first of all, he did. There's no cancer in heaven. So they're healed. They're delivered. They don't have that issue anymore, okay? And they're in the presence of their creator. So they're not having a bad day. Fair enough? You may miss your friend, but if she got healed, would you have stayed in church? You're still here. If they came back to the condition where you guys could go run again, would you have ran or would you have stayed? I mean, I would hope that you would stay. But maybe you just wanted your running companion for your worldly behavior. And maybe by God removing your crutch to justify your worldly ways, you leaned on him and he brought you out. You know, it's fun when people hear truth that's not meant in a mean way. I would never tell that to somebody in a mean way. You understand what I'm saying? They lost a friend. But it was 20 years ago, and they were still pining over it. But when I explained something that seemed clear to them, their eyes went chunk. And they went, oh, you know, that's probably the way it went. Only God can fill in all the blanks that we have. You don't know the whole story. We have the redacted version, and God has to hide some of it from us because we're not ready for the whole truth. I want to hear the whole truth, nothing but the truth. God, I'm holding you accountable. Can you imagine? But yet that's how we behave sometimes. Like, like God owes us an explanation. You know, every time I think about where I was born, where I grew up, who my parents were, how early I got into church. I think, God, why was I so fortunate? Because there are people that are born into terrible situations, in terrible places, in terrible circumstances. Why did I get to have good parents in a good situation? There was always enough food. There was always clothes. I was growing so fast by... The end of junior high, I was over six feet tall. I was about this much taller than everybody else. So my parents would buy me stuff that was too big. Can you relate, parents? You know, they never bought me shoes that fit. They bought me shoes that were two sizes too big. I always had a fondness for clowns, and I didn't know why, but now it's starting to make sense. You know, because my shoes are always going flop, 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 you know. If you're not old enough to know what that means, I can't help you. But, you know... Uh, I never ran short. You know, they did, I, there was never a, there were times when we ate beans and cornbread all week. I'm, I'm sure some of you can relate to that, right? 
I mean, there were, we, we didn't put McDonald's on credit. We, we had a, mom had a big pot she would put on the table, uh, on the stove, and she'd rinse some pinto beans and throw an old ham hock in there. And, and, you know, we would have beans for a week and cornbread, but, you know, it never felt like it was a bad thing. It wasn't like we all sat around complaining and crying into our bowl of beans. No, I put a big old dollop of, uh, uh, you know, butter in the beans with the cornbread and hoped that she had some turnip greens to go with it because I don't think beans and cornbread are complete until you throw turnip greens in the mix. But that's just me. I wasn't, you know, why is it when you get older, you get fond of things that you let sit on your plate when you were younger, you know? It's like, who in the world came up with that slimy thing called Fried squash. Okra's good. I like okra. When you fry it, it gets crunchy. Don't boil it. Good Lord, that's a heathen that does something like that. What's the idea with boiled peanuts? I've lived where they eat a lot of boiled peanuts. We don't eat them as much around here. I don't get that. Just roast your peanuts and get over it. I don't understand. Why would you boil? But anyway, I digress. So anyway, everyone liked the idea. Stephen was appointed. He was one of the ones. And in, in verse 7, it says the, the God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the, the Jewish priests were converted too. So imagine that. I mean, this is really impacting the Hebrew world. They thought putting Jesus on the cross would, would stop things. And, of course, with his resurrection and 40 days of appearing before his ascension, it's like every time they tried to persecute the church, it was like stepping on a coal at a fire and the embers go out and start another fire. And so it was just like everything they did just spread it. It just continued to fan the flames. And no matter how angry the Pharisees were, it just got worse. So... Stephen, a man full of God's glory and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. What? This is the guy running the food program. What does that tell you? Doesn't matter who you are, you have access to the same power that Pastor Matt has access to. And you can pray for the sick and they will recover. Yeah, you can do it. I remember a mother brought her adult son. It wasn't a baby, it was an adult son. She brought her adult son. She called me and said, Meet me at the church, Pastor. I'm bringing my son to get saved. I could see when he walked through the door, she'd already led him to Christ. You know, he was glowing. We walked down to the altar and I said, You know, we're just doing this for your mom. I can tell you've already accepted Jesus. He said, I have, but we'll do it. So we went down and knelt at the altar and I talked with him and prayed. And, you know, I wanted to also encourage him in the fundamentals pastors would encourage you to, to you know, get on track with. But uh, he was already saved. His mom led him to the Lord. But she didn't have that confidence that she could. You know what I mean? She felt, she felt that she needed a preacher involved, which is okay. I'm, I, don't get me wrong. She felt she needed a preacher involved, but she didn't have the confidence in what she had done to help her son enter the kingdom of heaven. You need to be confident. But I'm not on staff at the church. It don't matter. I'm not a volunteer at the church. Maybe you should. I don't know. But, you know, if you lay hands on the sick, they'll recover. 
If you tell somebody about Jesus, they may accept salvation. But it's not Sunday. God's a 24-7 operation. You can get saved anywhere, anytime, in person, over the phone. It don't matter if somebody calls crying to you about their life. Tell them, hey, I think Jesus will make a big difference. He could help you fix that. Well, my life just isn't working, maybe because you don't have Jesus in the middle of it. Your car don't run without oil in the motor either, but if you put that Holy Spirit in there, the friction may go away. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. So he's performing miracles and he's sharing the word. But one day, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. You ever run into debaters? Isn't it aggravating? They don't want to have a conversation. They just want to run the script, you know. They, they want to run the party line. They, they don't want to talk to you. They don't want to listen to you. They want to tell you. Understand, the devil is not somebody you're going to win. Think about that for a minute. You're not going to convert the devil. You're not going to get to heaven and say, look who I got saved. It's not going to happen. So be careful not to throw your pearl before swine. Don't take what's precious to God and just throw it out there. You need a receptive vessel. You need to feel that sense that they're ready. I'm not saying you don't offer it to everybody. I'm saying if they resist, that's their option. You know what God does? He waits patiently by till you're ready. God doesn't force anybody into heaven. You'll come to heaven if I have to drag you by the hair of your head. Can you imagine God leading us to the altar by getting our ear? Uh, 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 uh. We come when we're ready, when we say yes. The Holy Spirit's been tugging on you since you were born. God knew your name in the womb, but here's the deal. You don't have to respond. God has given you the free will to go to hell if that's your choice. But nobody will go to hell because God sent them there, not one person. The only place going to hell, and he went there by choice, was the devil, and God will not retrieve him. He was in the presence of God, walking among the, you know, he was just walking among the glory of God. He was a light bearer himself, and yet he would not submit to God. So what's the question? Who do you think you are? Just because you've got the reflection of his glory doesn't mean you have glory. The ministers that have failed in our lifetime, and if you're old enough, you know a few, and we don't need to run that through. But if you see a minister fail, I'll guarantee you he drank in God's glory. Look what I did. No, you didn't. I can't save anybody. I don't physically heal anybody, but God will. And if I ask Jesus into the room, he'll help somebody. If they're ready. So Stephen was standing up for his faith. And they got people to lie about him. They were from Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and province of Asia. None of them could stand against the wisdom and spirit with which Stephen spoke. And they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, We heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. This roused the people, the elders, the teachers of religious law, so they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. 
The lying witnesses said this man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs Moses handed down. At this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as an angel. Even while they were accusing him, God was resting his glory. His anointing was settling on Stephen. When the high priest asked Stephen, are these accusations true? This was Stephen's reply. Brothers and fathers, listen to me. There is a great synopsis of the Old Testament over the next many verses. But we're going to move past that. We're going to go all the way. Seven is a great chapter to read, and I would encourage you to do that. But I want to get to another character. I want to get past Stephen. We can't get past Stephen quite yet, but we're setting up the background. Let's go. Let's go all the way down to 54. Chapter 7, verse 54. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation and they shook their fists at him in rage. You know, when you don't have an answer, just being mad about it doesn't work. Have you ever had that? You've lost the argument instead of saying, you know what? You're right. I can't believe you're saying that. How dare you? How dare you what? Tell the truth? Now, truth can be a club too. Don't be beating people up. You know what I mean? How you handle the truth matters. You can handle it with grace. You know what I mean? I knew a pastor that was definitely having an affair. I sat in the car and talked with him for he tried to tell me this was his soulmate i'm like brother you have a wife and two sons this is not your soulmate this is not your soulmate this is your soul thief you want to go to hell with this woman you may very well do it but if you want to live right life and retain your calling you need to repent and change direction he didn't want to hear it would you want to hear it I didn't even want to deliver the message. You know what I mean? But he's still in the ministry. He's still married and he's still got his two sons. He was a train wreck happening. But through repentance and restoration, he's still in the ministry. You know what I say to that? Praise the Lord. I didn't save him from what he was doing. But something penetrated the Holy Spirit somehow quenched that fire that was in him to go the wrong direction. Sometimes we need to be called on our foolishness. Sometimes people need to be honest enough to say, no, that's far enough. That's far enough. You don't need to go down that road any further. I'm telling you right now. Two pastors are holding up signs on the side of the road. One says, the end is near. The end is near. And the other one's holding up a sign that says, turn back now, turn back now. And cars are whizzing by and just waving their hand at them. And all of a sudden you hear, so one minister says to the other, maybe we should have wrote the bridges out. You've been warned. You know what I mean? The Lord has made every effort in this life to protect you from eternity in the wrong place. I believe in my heart 
that God loves every human being that's ever been placed on this planet. Every human being has had an opportunity to choose. Yeah, but they didn't have Jesus in North America. We brought him over here, you know, a few hundred years ago. What about before that? And what about before Jesus? What about before Noah? God gives every man a chance. Noah preached for 120 years without a convert. You know how you'd feel at the end of 120 years when you entered that ark? Like a failure. Like a failure. But you know what? He saved you and me. We're part of his legacy. If it wasn't for Noah, we wouldn't be here. Thank you, Noah. He didn't see that. He doesn't know my name. Well, maybe in heaven he can see, but I don't know. But the point is, we've made it because he made it. Sometimes you've got to stand against the whole crowd. And here's Stephen. Here's Stephen right here, standing against the religious leaders. You think it was easy? You think it's easy standing up against the leaders of the nation? But yet he did it. He stood up full of the glory of God, full of the Holy Spirit. Steadily, uh, it, he, they, were, they shook their fists in rage, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven, saw the glory of God, saw Jesus standing at a place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in a place of honor at God's right hand. And by the Son of Man, who does he mean? Jesus. And they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him outside the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that he died. Saul was one of the witnesses and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. So who's Saul? Saul was from Tarsus, and his family owned property. When the Romans conquered Tarsus, because they owned property, they were immediately Roman citizens, and they nearly had all the full rights of a Roman citizen. Because they owned property, they had more privileges than the captives of a nation. They immediately had Roman citizen status, and their children had that status, and this is how it fell to Paul to be a citizen of the Roman Empire, not just a Jew. They could continue to practice their religion. Because they owned property, they were seen at a different level than the other people that were conquered. And so he had a special privilege based on where he was born. He was sent to Jerusalem to uh, learn at the feet of Gamaliel, which was a leading scholar, a leading teacher in the Jewish faith. He was considered uh, by many to be very promising. He went back to Tarsus. During the time of Jesus' ministry, he would have been five or six years younger than Jesus. So he was nearly Jesus' contemporary. He may have missed most of Jesus' ministry in Tarsus. And when he came back, he came back, voted as representative of Tarsus in their Jewish synagogue to be on the Sanhedrin. So there were about 10 spots that the Pharisees got on the Sanhedrin, which was the highest court in the land. And Saul got one of them. He was an influencer and a leader of Israel. 
And he was particularly incensed about this Jesus thing. He was particularly upset that it was polluting the faith, that it was changing the rules, that it was bending the truth. He believed they were heretics and he was going to fight with all his might. So when they killed Stephen, even after a great testimony, the glory of God showed on his face, the peace with which he departed while he was being stoned. He wholeheartedly approved that they killed him by stoning. I'm going to tell you something. Religion hardens your heart. When you get into church to become more important than other people, you're not in church for God. Hey, I grew up in church with rules. I know all about it. I know all about it. I know all about, you know, women don't wear pants or makeup. Men, you know, you, you, we had all these rules about no movies, no dancing, no, no mixed swimming. We'd go to church camp and the, the girls could swim in the pool. Then they got out, got cleaned up, went away. And then the men's chaperone could go swim in the pool. But, you know, we had all these rules. They weren't bad. It wasn't that they were bad. But they were an attempt to force righteousness by good behavior. You know what? It has to come from the heart. It doesn't matter how long your sleeves are or, you know, if those women wear dress and men wear pants and hopefully men continue to wear pants. I don't understand. I'm just saying. should be very telling when the men start wearing dresses. But that just shows how far the world has gone off the rails. What is the devil doing? The devil is the author of confusion. Why do you think they're so confused about gender and they've created 50 different genders? How can you take two and turn it into 50? I don't have a clue. You can't slice the cheese that thin. I'm sorry. It doesn't work that way. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you're a boy or a girl, a man or a woman. What are we doing? It's an author of confusion. It's in the mix. It's the devil. He's already destroyed the home. Now he's destroying your own identity. Isn't that what he was doing at the garden? He was getting them to break their identity away from God and become a God to their self. You don't need God to make decisions. You can make your own decisions. So anyway, this man was well-educated, well-connected, had the right people, the right name, the right citizenship. He had more freedom than even the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem because he could come and go as he pleased. He was a citizen. He could flip his passport out and the Romans would step back and let him by. It wasn't like that for everybody. Not to the extent that it was for him. So he was breathing fire. This guy was breathing fire. He was on his way to Antioch because there was a breakout. You know, that's where they were first called Christians, right? In Antioch, we were first called Christians. Before that, we were called people of the way. But what happened was they said, ooh, look at all those little Christ walking around. Literally, called, they were mocking us. For years, I had a belt that had bullet, holy, it had a stamp in the back. It was Holy Roller. When CBs came out, CB was the thing you'd talk on. You squeeze the mic and you, anyway. anyway, these youngsters, they don't know anything, but I was KALV 9816, the Holy Roller, you know. I had a. Help them, Lord, help them. So, you know, I wore it as a badge of pride to be a holy roller. But a few generations before me, it's how the world mocked church people. The Pentecostals were called holy rollers. There go the 
Even other faiths in the Christian world may have mocked us, may have said, look, there's the, one of them holy rollers. They're probably just rolling through the church, just rolling down the aisle. Just, of course, they probably hadn't met Connie because she does that. But anyway, <laughs> she loves doing that. Just like one of them rollers, you know, making dough, just spreading it out. I love Jesus. Yes, I do. You know, one of them holy rollers. So Antioch started, there was such a strong Christian movement there under Barnabas, they were calling the believers in Antioch Christians. So Paul was on his way, and he had letters that were going to put new rules in the synagogue that was going to prevent anybody from the Christian church having any access to the synagogue or to the Jewish faith. They were proselyting believers like crazy. Even in Jerusalem, priests are getting saved. I mean, it's just messing up the routine of the old line. And this is how you know there's a problem. When church people have to get meaner, they're, on, uh, they're, they're losing the ground underneath them. You know what I mean? We created problems when the Pentecost movement came along. There was a lot of discussion in the Christian world. What do we do with this? But, you know, we turned around and did the same thing when the charismatic movement came along. It's like, whoa. It took us 40 years to accept the charismatics. So they went into other religions. There were charismatic Catholics, charismatic Baptists, charismatic Methodists, because we wouldn't embrace them. Now we call ourselves, you know, charismatic Pentecostals. We've kind of mended that fence. But understand, people don't like change, don't like deviating from the standard, don't like anything going a different direction. And Paul saw these as a bunch of heretics. So he's breathing fire. He's got letters from the Sanhedrin saying he has the right to imprison people spreading this, proselyting Jews and causing the downfall of the Jewish faith. They are heretics in his mind, okay? So on his way to Antioch, he's approaching Damascus. And he's riding along, and they're probably, you know, hashing out rabbinical law and talking, you know, churchy. That's the way religious people are. They talk churchy. They don't talk natural. Talk churchy. Yea, verily, I saith unto thee, I would like a milkshake. What? Yea, verily, I got that part. What do you want? I want a milketh shaketh. Put a dab of holiness in there. Not too much. I don't want to be too holy. God wants you to understand that he doesn't care how well you keep the rules. If your relationship with God is right, there don't need to be rules. What you'll find out is by following Jesus, you're already on the right path. By obeying God, listening to God, cooperating with God, you'll find out that when you read the rules later, you go, oh, wow, that never really was a problem. If I love Jesus, I'm not lusting over my neighbor's wife. If I love Jesus, I'm not killing people. If I love Jesus, I'm not lying. If I love Jesus, I'm not coveting your stuff. If I love Jesus, I'm happy that you've got something nice. If I love Jesus, I'm glad you got, you're married to whoever. I'm happy for you. Not saying, oh, well, yeah, hmm, why not me, you know. Every time I see the card that I've always dreamed of go by, I think, better you have the payment than me. You know. <laughs> it's a holy thought. Anyway, and I'll share that with you. You can do that too. Woo, look at that. That's the car I always wanted. 
I'm glad you have those insurance rates. Okay, not me. My old Ford's not that expensive. God wants you to see through his eyes and have compassion for people that in your flesh you wouldn't have compassion for. God wants you to see through his eyes and understand what's really important. God wants you. So what happened? Now understand, if God could have done this to all the Sanhedrin, why didn't he just do it in the temple? Why didn't he just do it in the temple? A change is coming. He's riding along on his donkey. He's on his high horse. You know, he's got his, he's got his uh, letters from the Sanhedrin giving him rights to stomp on people. He's angry at these heretics. He wants to stomp on them. And he's on the road to Damascus, which will be further on to the way to Antioch. And he gets knocked down by a beam of light, and he's blinded. And he hears a voice. Saul. Saul, who is that, Lord? Who is this? It's Jesus. All right, first of all, do you think that would challenge your belief system? Huh? Would you be uncomfortable with God changing your worldview? Been a Christian for all his life. He's in his 30s. He's in his prime. He's got more power at a younger age than anybody ever in the Sanhedrin. He's throwing a big rope and he's getting things done. And then you find out you're fighting the one that you thought you were serving. You thought you were God's man. God, without me, you couldn't get it done. You know, that's for illustrative points only. Okay, so he gets knocked down to the ground and he's blinded. Why did God blind him for three days? I'll tell you why he blinded him for three days because he's got a process. He's got a process. My life's just been undone. My accomplishments have just been pulled out from under me. There are times when Paul will brag about, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees and, and I was taught at the feet of Gamaliel and, and, I, and I did this and I did that. But he'll also say it's just rubbish on the dung pile. Because really what matters is my relationship with God. Jesus took a man who thought he knew it all and taught him something new. I was in a big city that I went to a lot when I was younger. I used to go to this big city all the time. I used to take my kids there. We used to wander around and tour it. And one day I was on a main street. You know, there are certain arteries that just go everywhere in any city. You know, like we have Central and Airport. And, and these are main arteries through town, Grand. If you can get to one of these, Albert Pike, you kind of know where you're at. I was headed the wrong way. And the landscape was changing. So it meant instead of heading kind of northeast, I was heading southwest. Because I was going out of the city and into the residential. And I knew I was headed southwest instead of northeast. I knew I was, but I couldn't convince myself. You know, man, if you have a compass, an internal compass. I used to work for Federal Express, and I always, always had a great sense of direction. I didn't have GPS back then. We had map books and whatnot, and I just had a good sense of direction. I could get you there. You know what I mean? I had to do it in a hurry. It wasn't like I could stop and ask for directions. So anyway, I'm headed the wrong way, and I can't convince myself otherwise. I can't convince myself that I'm wrong. 
I had to go for several blocks knowing this is the wrong direction, the wrong direction, the wrong direction. Finally, I pulled over and said, turn around. Once I turned around, everything became familiar again. You know, it's one thing to know that I'm wrong because I'm making bad choices on purpose. But what about when I think I'm making good choices and they're the wrong choices? What about that? So for three days, he had to think about Jesus saying, isn't it hard to kick against the pricks? He was talking about these goads they would put on the harness for an oxen so that if they acted up in the yoke, they would hit their hamstring and it would hurt. And if you did much of that, you'd stop doing it. So, you know, if you're, you're rising up and kicking, all of a sudden it hurts. And you know good and well that even though they laid the coats at his feet, even though he heartily approved of Stephen's death, even though all that was true, you know there was something in him that said he looked like an angel. He had peace that I don't have even with everything that I've got. He was asking God to forgive me for approving of what was happening to him. He knew that people had been hired to lie. He knew that they'd falsely accused Stephen. He knew that everything Stephen said in chapter 7 was right. And yet he heartily approved of it and it was eating at him. Why is it that I could be so right and feel so, so wrong? Why didn't Jesus knock down all the Sanhedrin and say, isn't it hard for you to fight against me? Because all the Sanhedrin wasn't pliable. All the Sanhedrin didn't have in their heart room for God. Religious people are not necessarily spiritual people. Why do you think we can have somebody with a perversion in a pulpit in some denominations? It's because they're living a lie. You can justify it, but it doesn't make it right. So imagine finding out that you're on the wrong track, you've done the wrong thing, and he has to live the guilt of what he did. He didn't fight for Stephen's life. He approved of his being snuffed out. On the Sanhedrin was the full load of what they did to Stephen, and it wasn't right. And then... This guy named Ananias, God says, hey, Ananias, buddy, how you doing? Hi, Ananias. Hi, God. I love you, man. love you so much. I want you to go pray for uh, Saul of Tarsus. What? That would be like God calling you up and saying, I need you to go over and lay hands on Hitler. What? What? No! I knew a minister that was uh, called in with a kite to go see um, Manson. And he said, man, I wasn't prepared for that. He didn't want, uh, you know, salvation or he didn't want a, a life change. He wanted to toy with a minister. You know, he wanted to, like, uh, like have you ever grabbed a spider and used it for a yo-yo? You know, that's kind of how he felt. It was like I was not at all prepared for the evil I encountered. You need to be prepared, okay? Yeah. Don't go willy-nilly like we're just, you know, I'm just one of them sighting, busting guys. You know, you, you be careful. Right. 
It may come that you have to stand up to the devil, but be prepared, be in prayer, be in the Word. How did Jesus defend him? He was God! Jesus was God! But he defeated the devil as a man. He didn't pull any heavenly stuff. He didn't grab the angels and say, come down here and help me. He didn't throw his creative power out there. What did he do when he encountered the devil during his 40-day fast? He quoted scripture. He didn't say, devil, I've known you for eons, and in my opinion, you're just not nice. No, he said, thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. He kept clubbing the devil with scripture. Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. If you don't know your words, you can't do that. I think I heard a song say one time that we could step on your head. What? Hey, uh, Church on the Way, uh, Pastor Jack Hayford said when he was in college becoming a minister, he said they used to go to the rescue mission. But he said around the dorms at the Christian college he was attending, they'd make fun uh, of casting out demons and stuff. So they'd say, come out of that human, you devil. You know, or come out of that devil, you human. They, he, they were making fun, okay? They were mocking it. One day they were preaching because they could get preaching opportunities at the rescue mission. The rescue mission has church every night. Most rescue missions have a service every night before they feed. So these guys would volunteer as uh, minister students to get some practice in preaching. And they encountered a demon. They were in the altar and they encountered a demon. And they said, come out in Jesus' name. And that demon curled up and bowed up against them and said, I know you. You don't have any authority over me. Why? Because you can't mock the things of God and have any authority. We have authority in Jesus' name. But let me tell you something. You can't stand in a puddle of sin and have any authority. I have authority because my name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life because my sins have been washed and because I'm pursuing God. But don't mock God. Don't mock Him. So they said uh, that demon didn't come out that night. They weren't prepared for a demon talking back to him. I'm not saying it couldn't have. I'm saying Jack Hayford, who pastored a wonderful church in the Foursquare denomination in, I think it's Van Nuys, California or something. He, he had to take a step back and rethink his life. He said, you need to take the sacred, sacred. You need to reverence the things of God. You need to be careful not to mock what's holy. Jesus' authority is not a party game. Jesus' authority is divine, royal, sovereign authority. And it's been given to you. Amen. Jesus said, greater things will you do than I did. What? You created the heavens and the earth. Well, I probably won't create no heaven and earth. But, but he fed 5,000. He cast out demons. He helped the blind eye see. He helped the deaf ear hear. He did amazing things, and he said, watch, I can do even greater through you. But we have to understand where we need to be to be that conduit of God's glory. So he gets some time to think about it, and he thinks about it.
What do you think God was really saying to him when he knocked him down with a bright light and blinded him? He said, Saul of Tarsus, who do you think you are? You're persecuting me. You know what? I think that would set me back on my heels. That would cause me to rethink that moment. You want to do great things in this church, in the kingdom of God, in this community, in our world? Make sure you're on the right track. Make sure you're headed the right direction. Even within this wonderful move we have here, even within this wave of God's glory and his move in this house, you can still be paddling the wrong direction. Make sure that your motives are clear. Make sure that your sins are forgiven. Make sure that you're not allowing anything to abide in your home that doesn't belong there. I love Jesus. Why are you playing with tarot cards? I'm a follower of Christ. Why do you have crystals hanging around your neck? You know they have people that sew crystals in the crotch of their pants. This new age stuff, you can't even, you can't even make this stuff up. I just think that would stick you every now and then sit there wrong. The way I wear my clothes out, all of a sudden be like, whoa, what that's about? I don't know what that's about, but that ain't right. That's not right. Don't ask me what my astrological sign is because I won't, I won't cooperate with that nonsense. You know what my sign is? It's the sign of the cross. This stuff seems... It may seem uh, trivial or simple, but if you don't have the foundation of the house right, nothing will stand. We got to build on the rock. You know, Jesus has to be the chief cornerstone. We have to live by the word. We have to be real. Because you know what? The devil ain't playing. In my lifetime, I've never seen the devil so active openly. He's always been active, don't get me wrong. But he's so open about it now. He'll stand toe-to-toe with you. But you know what? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I have nothing to fear. Now, two things. The reason he could get Paul's attention, he was called Saul at the time, but later he'd be the Apostle Paul. The reason he could get his attention was because his heart wanted to please God. He was not doing it. He was going the wrong direction. But when God corrected him, he went with it. Okay? There's more to tell in the story, but we're done. The second thing, Paul would write half the New Testament. Half of what you believe out of the New Testament wouldn't exist without this moment in Damascus when God took an absolute persecutor of the church and said, Paul, isn't it hard for you to go the wrong direction? It's kind of like that guy that got a call from his wife. His cell rang. He picked it up. His wife said, hey, honey, I'm watching the news, man. There's somebody going the wrong way on the freeway. He said, honey, it's not one person. Everybody's going the wrong way. God help us to go the right way. Amen. Amen.
if I knocked on your door and you had to stall me five minutes while you put something away, hid something, burned something, threw something away, if you had to turn something off, if you had to reset your computer, if you had to clean your browser history, if you have to do anything before you can let another believer in, you're on the wrong track. You're headed the wrong way. But you know how far we are from grace? One breath. God, God forgive me. God, I have dishonored you with anything that I'm doing that's wrong. Help me, God, to follow close to you and, and fall in step with your word, fall in step with your will for my life, fall in step with your direction, fall in step with your call on my life. Not everybody, we say call and everybody thinks preacher. Yeah, I know what the call is. It's evangelist, preacher, prophet, teacher. No. We're all called to represent Jesus Christ. So represent. But we can't represent if we're headed the wrong direction. Who do you think you are? It's a question you've got to resolve. The reason I bring it up week after week after week is because you need to know who you are. Not guess who you are. Not think you know who you are. Paul thought... He knew who he was. I'm a defender of the faith. No, you're messing things up, Paul. You need to get on track. Unfortunately, Paul said, yes, Lord, to your will and to your way. It's not the will of the pastor, the teacher, the prophet. It's not the will of the evangelist. This is not what matters. It's the will of the Lord. Somebody says, well, a preacher gave me bad advice one time. Well, a preacher's human. And, you know, people say, well, they were probably in their flesh. I haven't been out of my flesh yet. Where have you been? I know I'm in my flesh because gravity has a love affair with me. Here's the thing. Have grace for others, but hold yourself to God's standard. Don't, don't spend time judging others. Say, God, am I on track today? God, I know that wasn't right. Forgive me. Help me make it right. Who do you think you are? I'm a blood-bought, sin-forgiven, God-loving child of the King. God's written my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. He has a home for me. Who do I think I am? I'm Jesus' brother and the Father's son and the Holy Spirit's friend and I'm glad to be part of the family of God. You've got to get it right. Because if we get it wrong, even religious people will go to hell. Who was Jesus tough on the Sanhedrin? Why? Because their armor was the thickest. They thought their good works were good enough. No. No, going through the religious routine will not get you to heaven. Only the blood of Jesus Christ. So as we think about Paul approving of Stephen's death, wait till you read chapter 7. You've got to read that. When you think of Paul approving of it, you know that at the end of his life, when he closed the chapter on the last page he had written, and Nero pulled him in and chopped his head off. He was beheaded when Nero chopped his head off. Jesus said, well done. He didn't talk about the day with Stephen. Stephen come up and hugged him and said, brother, I'm so glad you're home. 
Stephen would have understood how important Paul was and how great the forgiveness was that God had given him just like he'd given to Stephen. We've got to have a higher view of people. We've got to see the horizon. Quit looking at the feet. Boy, that one's got dirty feet. They need a good foot washing. I'm telling you, I wish we'd bring back foot washing. Them feet's dirty. Stinky socks. They need to wash their feet. We still have to tread through this world, and it is a struggle. But we need to keep our eyes up higher, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who endured the shame set before him. He despised what he had to go through, but he endured it for our sake because he loved us that much. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I know that even Pentecostals can be religious. I've met a few of them in my lifetime. I pray, God, that our hearts are tender, that you'll take out the heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. I pray, God, we can be filled with compassion and love and grace. Help us, God, to know joy and peace and love. Help us, God, not to be harsh or critical. Help us, God, not to think we're better than anybody else because we practice the faith longer or we practice the faith in a different way. God, help us to be understanding and patient and faithful. And God, help us to love you above all others because, God, what we love is what we'll conform to. So help us, God, to conform to the God who created us. And God, in all these things, we'll give you glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in. Our hope is that these messages will help you on your journey of discovering who Christ is and who you are in Him. You can learn more about our ministry at lvahs.org or follow us on Instagram at lakeview.hs.